All right. Um, so we've been going through Sermon on the Mount the last couple of weeks. It's been a lot of fun. I hope you guys have been learning a lot. Last week we talked about something that was really interesting, Jesus and his view of the Old Testament. And last week I made a point that maybe was maybe new to you or you never heard before. But Jesus, in Matthew 23.3, when he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees, he makes a point that some commands in the Bible hold more weight. Some commands should be more important, should be a bigger priority, right? And so he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees and he says, Scribes and Pharisees, all you do is give a tenth. You tithe your resources, but you don't care about the more important things like love and justice and faithfulness and mercy. You should do both of them, but more importantly, you should do the more important things of the law. Now, all sins, like we said last week, make us culpable before God that we're guilty. If I just tell the tiniest white little lie, I'm still guilty before God. But there are some commands in the Bible that hold more weight. Some sins have bigger consequences. And I was thinking about that this week, that the fact that there are some sins that we do in the Christian life that will lead to more guilt, that will lead to bigger consequences, right? So if I kill somebody, if I literally murder someone, I'm going to be very guilty about that, right? My conscience is going to be stricken. I'm going to maybe turn myself in. I can get in a lot of trouble with the law. That's a big deal, right? Other sins, like if I were to have an affair, that would affect my conscience. My, I'd be guilt-stricken. It would affect my marriage and my family. I would put into jeopardy. But there are also some sins that are a little less weightier, that don't have as much ramification, that we kind of say, like, well, it's not that big of a deal. One of those sins, I think, that we kind of maybe throw under the carpet or excuse a little bit or don't make that big of a deal is the sin of anger. And I think we have in our, in our culture a lot of interesting, I guess, euphemisms or way of expressing how to justify anger. Well, you say, well, I just lost my temper. Like, literally, I, I lost it. I can't find it. I don't know where it went. Um, I, I, was just, I was just blowing off some steam, right? I, you know, I got worked up a little bit. I'm just blowing off some steam, like a locomotive, right? Where get, the engine get really hot, and you have to release steam so the engine wouldn't explode, like the cartoons where, like, you know, the steam comes out of the ears a little bit. I'm just venting right now, man. I, I just need someone to vent to. I need to come to you and I need to tell you what's my problem. And I just need you to listen. And I'm just really mad right now, but I'm, I'm just going to vent it out, right? I'm just venting. I meet a lot of people in Chicago and they would always tell me that smoking was like relaxing and they'd get the jitters and they'd have to go outside and they'd have a cigarette and they'd be all calm. And, you know, so that's the nicotine. But part of me thinks like, if I had 10 minutes of my day in the middle of a stressed day and just went outside and just stood there, just breathed a little bit, like, who wouldn't be less stressed after that, right? And venting, right? The same thing. I, I just need to vent. I need to, I just need to tell you what's on my mind right now. 
Or not, that person, man, they were just, they were pushing my buttons. Right? I, I was doing completely fine. They came in the room. Like, those little kids, man, they just know exactly where to push. Every time I get more buttons, they push those two. And that person, I don't know, you're friends with them, but man, every time I'm around them, they just, oh, they make me so mad. They push my buttons, right? All different ways of describing anger. But something about that is we, we tend to talk about anger in a very passive way. In a way, not so much where anger comes from us, but rather anger comes from other people. You are pushing my buttons. You are doing something that makes me want to vent. You are doing something that makes me lose my temper. It gets lost. And instead of seeing anger as something that comes from us, we tend to view it as something that isn't that big of a deal. You think of Aaron, of all the sins in the world, of all the problems that I may have, of all the things that I might struggle with, is anger really one of those things that needs to have some traumatic message towards, that needs to be some, something that I need to really fix in my life? Isn't a little bit of anger even good? Last week we ended on a really interesting verse in Matthew 5, verse 20. Jesus says, For I tell you, my disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Your righteousness must exceed, must be better, must be higher than the scribes and the Pharisees. When we read that verse, we typically, we immediately fill in the blank of what we think Jesus means. Oh, well, clearly no one can really have a righteousness better than the scribes and Pharisees. So he's talking about having Jesus' perfect righteousness. And I just need to believe in Jesus and I can have his righteousness. And then I will have a righteousness greater than the Pharisees and scribes. That is true. We can only have Christ's righteousness right through grace by faith. But that's not exactly what Jesus is talking right there. He is really trying to get at a fact that his disciples, right, the whole Sermon on the Mount is talking about discipleship. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? For his disciples, there is a sense in which your righteousness must be different, must be better, must have a higher standard than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And they were known for keeping all of God's laws, but only keeping them externally. Only really showing it on the outside. Not really having a heart that wanted to please God. And so Jesus is saying, no, my disciples will have a righteousness that is far better than that. It'll come from their heart. It's, it's like the Jeremiah 31, right? Where Jesus, when God's talking through Jeremiah about this, about this new covenant. And he says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This new way of righteousness, which doesn't just mean I have to work really hard and make sure I obey all his commands and then God accepts me. No, it is a heartfelt righteousness towards God that my disciples will do. Anger, though. Is it really that big of a deal? Let's see what Jesus says. Down to verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. 
and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, but I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So then, if you are offering your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will, not, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So what were the Pharisees doing with this sixth commandment? Thou shalt not kill, right? If we know a little bit of our Ten Commandments. The Pharisees promoted this, like I said, this very external, outward expression that I just need to keep literally what it says. And so the Pharisees interpreted this to mean the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And by, by thou shalt not kill, that means murder, right? Because there's plenty of times in the Bible where God says you can kill, you know, defending yourselves or preparing, like defending your borders, all that stuff. When it talks about murder, though, we're talking about like homicide. Like you kill someone out of cold blood or revenge or anger or hatred. The Pharisees says, hey, as long as I do not commit the act of homicide, I'm good to go. I follow the sixth commandment. I'm doing what I should do. I'm having a perfect righteousness. I'm relatively certain, but I'm not completely certain because you never know these days, that most of us in this room are 100% Guilty free of committing murder. Okay? Now, don't, don't go make me doubt that too much, but that's a, that's a relatively a safe assumption, I want to say that. We're 100% murder free in this room, okay? Do we now get to say, okay, well, I follow the Ten Commandments, I'm a good person, I, I did what was right. See, it's funny because when Jesus starts talking about this it's like well yeah like they're doing what's right they're doing what the law says jesus why are you trying to make us think about it why are you trying to make a big deal and an important thing to remember jesus is not trying to say that all the things that you've heard in the all the things in the old testament that those things are bad he is trying to confront what they have heard what the Pharisees and scribes kept teaching through generation through generation, that if you just don't commit the act of homicide or murder, you're good to go. Jesus says, no. You Pharisees, you want to take God's command and you want to make them as narrow as possible. You don't want to have a lot of accountability. You just want to be able to check it off the list. And Jesus says, oh, it goes so much further than not just laying your hands on someone and killing them. Because I tell you, what does he say? Verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who was angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. 
Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And see, what the Pharisees tried to do is they tried to make God's word, the Bible, more palatable for people to take. They tried to make it easy to do, easy, like, where it's not too hard to follow. Most people in the world can understand that, yeah, I shouldn't, I shouldn't kill people. Okay, I'm following God. We do this all the time. So maybe you're, you're sharing the gospel with a friend at school and, and you're using the, the basic illustration, like, hey, God's over here, we're over here, there's a gap in the middle, and we have to get to God, and the gap is our sin. You know, but Jesus, he's the cross, we put the cross over, and we get to walk to God through the cross. And usually in doing so, we don't usually make it a big noticeable thing that how big the gap actually is, how far away from God we actually are. People start saying, well, you know, I'm not that bad. I mean, yeah, I, I, there's some, I mean, I don't have the best thoughts. I'm not always the best person to be around. But, I mean... But at least I've never killed anyone, right? At least I don't, I don't cut people off it's, you know, on the freeway or I don't gossip about people. And Jesus says it goes so much further than that. To be my disciple and to have the righteousness that I require, it's so much more. So he gives three different ways in which this righteousness extends further beyond than just getting a gun and shooting someone, Right? So the first thing, he says, my Bible is so small, my eyes are in, okay. Um, everyone who is angry with his brother, everyone who is angry with his brother, you will be liable for judgment. That's a general word for judgment, which probably means that you're liable to judgment before God. So Jesus says, okay, you think that you're free from just not killing someone? You will be liable to the same judgment if you ever are angry with the brother that you have. He goes on. If you ever insult your brother, you will be liable to the council. So you have, if you've ever been angry with someone, if you ever insulted someone, and the last one he says there, if you ever say you fool, which does anyone have the word raka there in their Bible? Yeah? In a modern translation, it's, it's, it's like saying you're a blockhead. Like you're empty, you're nothing. I don't even care about you. It's almost like a final denouncing of someone. Like, I want nothing to do with you. You fool, get away from me, you blockhead. In all of those, they come with their own certain type of judgment. The first one, if you're angry with your brother, you're liable to the judgment of God. If you insult one, it says you're liable to the court. So literally like um, a human court, right? Like you can go to, to, to court for that. Someone can sue you for that. And to denounce someone completely, you are liable to the fires of hell. Now, Jesus is not saying that, okay, if you only insult somebody, you only have to deal with this type of judgment. And, but if you consider someone a fool, then you won't get those other judgments. You'll get just the fire of hell. In a way, he's trying to say that all of these things that we do commonly will end up suffering the same result as if we had actually killed the person. I was driving to the airport 
few days ago, picking up a friend, and this guy was talking about hate crimes. And he's talking about how there's a, there's a gray area here, okay? So someone, I think, had written something very racially horrible somewhere in the South. Um, I think it might have been something with, you know, the Ferguson thing. I don't even know. But it, 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 it included, like, vandalism and graffiti and all different things. And people, they caught this guy, and they want to charge him for hate crimes. And this guy this on, the, on the radio is making the argument that, no, like, we cannot ever be in a position where we are punishing people based on how they feel or what they think. Like, it is not, he's saying, he said, it's not illegal to be racist. It's not illegal to hate people. I mean, he made the point that it's morally wrong and it's, it's messed up. But you can't punish someone, and we can't have the right to really know what was going on in the motives. And so he's making the point that we can only really punish the crime that comes from that, which is vandalism. I think it's fascinating that he says that. Because that's what we want to do with God's word. As long as I don't commit the actual crime of killing someone, I am good. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Anytime your heart is angry at someone, or you insult someone, or you say, you fool, you are liable to judgment. So where that guy says, you can't, you can't judge the heart, Jesus says, oh, guess what? If you're ever just angry with someone, you are liable to judgment. <coughs> we can be 100% murder-free, but if our life is ever marked with anger or malice, or conceit. There's ever been times where we just like, man, I just don't want that person to be in this room. That person just makes me nauseous. Man, I can't stand that person. More so than just murdering or taking someone's life away, by being angry, sometimes we, we're character assassins. We, we just talk about people. We insult them all the day long. I tell you, when I was studying this passage, I was immediately struck and convicted in my own heart about how much I used to talk about my old boss. I mean, talk about, I hated the guy. Anytime there's a new employee and I got to work with him, my first mission was to tell them how bad Ryan Hansen was as a human being. I tell you what, he was me. He was a bad person. And I hated him. And I, and, I, and I insulted him behind his back. And I made, every, I made other people even hate him. And Jesus is saying, this is where my disciples are different. This is where my disciples don't do this. They don't go around insulting people. They don't go around being angry with one another. might be thinking for a second, okay, well, okay, anger is bad. I shouldn't be anger, like, angry with people, okay. But is, is, all ang- is all anger bad? Are there ever times where we can have good anger? It's, it's interesting to me when Jesus says, if you ever call someone you fool or raka, like, you'll be liable to the fires of hell. Jesus calls the scribes and Pharisees fools. So clearly there has to be a difference between a, a righteous or a good anger and then a, a sinful anger, right? Well, to hopefully to be a little helpful, there's, there's a few different ways in which I think we can see what sinful anger looks like. Four different ways, actually. That what makes anger an actual sin in our life? 
is when we are angry, first one, is when we are angry without cause. So verse 22, actually, if you look down at it, there might be a note down at the bottom where, you know, some manuscripts talk about, they added that one phrase, um, if you're angry without cause towards your brother. You know, like, maybe that wasn't actually there, but I think it really helps understand what Jesus is saying there. If we are angry at someone ever, think about this room or growing up or your parents or your brothers, if we have ever been just outright mad at someone and the person didn't do anything, and there isn't a legitimate reason to be mad at that person, that is when our anger has crossed over to being a sin. If your anger is is disproportionate to the offense, right? So if we get angry and it's just like you blow up and it's a small little thing. I remember one time watching like the World Series and there was a bad call and I got a glass and I threw it against my wall and it broke and... It's just like, then I got mad at myself for being so mad at that, you know? Um, There are times where we blow up and we get so mad over such a small little thing. That is a way in which our anger has turned to sin. When your anger is out of control, right? So when we... um, lose the self-control that the fruit of the Spirit talks about, right? That being fruitful in Jesus means that we have self-control. And when our anger at times can be righteous, when we lose our control, like we raise our voice and we slam our hands and we shut the door all out in our house. And we lose control, right? Is when that anger has turned to, to sin. It's when your anger has no relationship with the holiness of God. Were you angry like Jesus when he went into the temple and he cleansed the temple and when he talked to the Pharisees that he had a grief and a mourning over the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees and the crowds? Have you ever been just angry with the world or with friends that you have because they just continue to live in sin? But when our anger is just because things are really going our way. When things don't don't line up the way we think they should be, we just get mad. One more. Is when we let our anger fester. Sometimes when I was growing up, I felt like if if I let go of this anger right now, it's almost like I'm letting them off the hook. It's almost like I'm letting them think that it's okay. So I just have to make sure I stay angry at this person as long as I can because if I ever let go of this anger, I'm almost justifying what they're doing. I have to be angry at my dad for a long time to let him know that what he did in spanking me was a bad thing. And I just hold on to that anger and I want to just, and it grows into bitterness. James 4 is a really helpful um, passage when, I, when reading this. Uh, I, w- I want to read you just a few verses, starting in verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? So what, literally, he's asking you a question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, 
you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Why do we get angry? 95% of the time, we get angry because we don't get what we want. Because there's someone standing in our way. Because we want to go to the movies with our friends, but our parents say, no, you didn't do this, or I'm not going to let you go see that movie. And we say, Mom, all my friends are doing this. You're ruining this for me. Get out of my way. I don't want you to do this. Or when our friends or someone walks in the room we don't know is making us feel dumb or making us feel insecure or they do something to hurt our feelings. What is happening is they're getting in our way. They're making us feel bad. We say, I don't, get out of here. I don't want you. And we get mad and we get angry and we get frustrated. And James here is talking about why do fights and quarrels happen? Why do we cover things? Because we want things and we can't get them. Listen, no one gets angry when they get every single thing they want. Right? Hey mom, can I have cupcakes and um, chocolate for breakfast? Absolutely. And also, can I wash it down with Mountain Dew? Oh, I thought you would never have asked. Awesome, you're the best mom ever. No one ever gets angry when they get everything they want. But why do we get angry? Because we don't get the things that we do want. And in doing so, we turn that around on people. And we say, this person is in my way. This person is stopping me. God, you're stopping me from allowing me to be happy or to have this thing. First John 3.15 says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Jesus wants to be clear that anger, being frustrated, these emotions that we have, though our times can be good, need to be, like, get rid of our lives like a plague, like avoid anger like it's the plague. Because it is so detrimental. It, it, It affects every relationship. And so many times, what do we do? I'm just venting. I'm just blowing off some steam. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, is so much more than not just laying your hands on someone. It goes down to the core root of our heart that when people are doing things that get in our way, what do we do? We're supposed to be merciful. We're supposed to be meek. We're supposed to be poor in heart, poor in spirit. There's a hunger and thirst for righteousness. question for you is how is your anger toward other Christians sometimes? And that's an interesting question because sometimes we get angry at people in this room. We get angry at maybe even me. We get angry at our parents who are Christians. Christians who are spared from the wrath of God but can't be spared from our wrath. See, when we get mad at other believers, in essence we are saying, okay, you can be spared from God's divine wrath, but guess what? My wrath is coming towards you. That is, that is what we're saying when we get angry with one another. 
Jesus goes on to explain a little bit of the positive side of the Sixth Commandment. And so he gives two illustrations, right? He talks about one guy is going to the temple, and before he gets to the temple and he lays down his sacrifice and he worships the Lord, he realizes, hey, I need to make things right with this person. And the second one is going to the court, right? So you're not worshiping this time, you're like, there's a lawsuit happening. And before you even get to litigation or anything like that, you want to make things right. What's so fascinating here is that in both scenarios, it's not the anger that is wrong with you, it's the anger that people have against us. Jesus isn't saying, okay, you're really mad at this person, go make sure you fix it. No, it's, it's the other way around. Someone has right and legitimate cause to be mad at us. We have done something in, in the wrong. They are mad with us. And so before we ever come to church or lay down our, our songs or anything, we need to go and make that right. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the story of King Saul. He was given a command by Samuel to go kill all of the Amalekites. And so he does it partially. And Samuel comes in and says, what is this this I hear in my ears? I hear cows and sheep. Well, I I did most of it, but now I'm, I'm sacrificing to the Lord. I'm worshiping God. I'm doing something. And Samuel says this very, very important thing. It is better to obey than to sacrifice. See, Jesus had a lot of people who were mad at him. He had a lot of people who were against him, right? So it almost sounds like, would Jesus have to, like, spend every single day going and trying to make sure that people weren't mad with him? It's not, I mean, people are going to be mad at us for dumb reasons sometimes. I don't like the way you parked your car outside. <coughs> that is something where I say, brush it off. Don't worry about it. That is not something to, like, go and I have to, before I sing any songs, I have to make sure that person, like a legitimate thing, like where we have done something wrong, we need to make sure before we even come to church, before we sing songs to God, Jesus is saying, before you do anything God related, if, if you know there is someone who's mad at you, or has anger with you because you've done something wrong, it is better for you to go leave right now and to make things right with that person. It is better to obey than to sacrifice. It is better to make things right than to come and give our sacrifice to God. The last one. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Out of the medieval times, it became a really ugly doctrine that led to the Reformation of Martin Luther and John Calvin, all these guys. And it's the, it's the Roman Catholic doctrine of indulgences. And, and they grab part of their doctrine from that verse. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out from the hells of fire until you have paid the last penny. I find it fascinating that they, they grossed a, a unique and distorted doctrine from such a small verse which is ripped far out of its context what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus is talking about this. The urgency and the necessity that we must have in reconciliation with each other. How, how, how do Christians be unusual? 
is one, they learn to understand that my anger, my hatred needs to be ridded out, it needs to be gardened out of our lives. And that not so much do we not only not hate our brothers, we need to fight for reconciliation with others. We need to make sure that not only am I not being mad with someone, I'm going to make sure that you don't have cause to be mad with me. And if you are, I'm going to do as much as I can and as fast as I can to make sure that doesn't happen. This is what it looks like to be a kingdom Christian. This is unusual in our world. And this is hard, right? Every single day, every single one of you is stirred up with anger. Some of you struggle with it more than others. How do we get to a point in our lives where anger isn't an issue? How do we understand what Jesus is saying here? How do we really understand how to live a life that is anger-free? It goes back to understanding that Christ really is our righteousness. That we can't do this perfectly. That I am not capable to go one whole day without getting just a tiny bit angry with someone or about something. How many Christians do I know who are sinfully angry with a president? Who treat them like they're not even a human being? But how do Christians get to a point to where they are truly the salt and the light of the, of the world? Where they are truly people who can suppress their anger? It's by embracing the person who is giving this message. It's by embracing Jesus. Who when forced with people who, are, who had hard hearts and who would not listen, he had a righteous anger because you know why? He thirsted and he hungered for righteousness. Because he saw our anger and he saw our sin and he said, just because on the outward you look okay, your heart is wicked. And because of that, I will die for it. In order for you not to take the punishment for your sin, I will take that punishment. And once we begin to understand the gospel, once we understand, like, man, I, I do get angry with people. I insult people all the time. I say bad things. Once we understand the depth of our sin and we understand how big that hole is, that gaping hole between us and God, we understand how much we need Jesus. And in doing so, we come to understand the love and the grace of Jesus, which teaches us eventually say, I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to obey you because I love you. But I say to you, Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. The only way we can ever escape those judgments is by running to Jesus who faced that judgment for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to study your word. Jesus, help us to know that being angry is not a light, fluffy sin that isn't that big of a deal. Jesus, it is a huge deal, and it is a way in which you call your disciples to be different. 
that so many times we try to justify our sin. We try to think that we aren't as bad as we think. I haven't killed anyone, we might say. But God, surely everyone in this room has at times had a sinful anger. An anger that is displeasing to you. An anger that is wrong. And Jesus, I pray not only would we come and seek forgiveness for those times where we have sinned, but Lord, we would come to you and find the example of what it looks like to live a different life, to find the power to really understand that when we see your righteousness, it transforms us. God, thank you for these students and for their willingness to be here. God, I pray that you give them a week that is full of your grace and mercy. God, help them to be the best they can in all their endeavors. God, I pray that they are salt and light. I pray that they would understand that the Beatitudes are not just opinions, not just options, but a way of life for being your disciple. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done and continue to do in this group. In Jesus' name, amen.